Hello and welcome to the American Experiment Podcast. This is episode number 16, and we are going to break down for folks. I'm joined by, I'm Bill Walsh, by the way, uh, Center of the American Experiment, Director of Marketing and Communications. I'm joined by Catherine Wigfall, our education policy fellow, education expert, former teacher as well. I'd like to throw that into your bio when we can. Uh, we are going to break down. We did a post this week on um, the, sec the circle of education funding um, that got a lot of good buzz, I think. And so as a follow-up to that post, that kind of talked about the politics involved in the in the legislature funding education and the union grabbing a bunch of it for teacher contract settlements and then the districts broke then they got to cut the middle school band program and then they everybody yells at the legislature to fund more education so that's a different video you can find that on our youtube channel but to follow up with that people started asking well how how does the legislature fund education what goes into the funding and it's very complicated everybody says oh it's really complicated you can't understand it so in the next 15 minutes or so we'll try to keep it to 15 minutes Catherine and i are going to try to explain the k-12 education funding formula in the state of minnesota they used to say at the legislature, there's only like three people that really understand it. You know, Tom Melcher was the director of finance for the Department of Education for like 30 years. I worked with him. He was a great guy and a genius. He really understood it, you know, and then there was like three other people that understood it. I'm not going to say that I understand it or maybe, Catherine, I don't know if you can say you understand it, but we're going to get close. We're going to raise the level of understanding for everybody watching and listening on how we fund schools and education. So to get started, it's a formula based on. How many, well, how do we start? Yeah, let's start there. Well, let's start, let's, let's back up a second. Even, I'm already confusing <laughs> See, people. Get in the three, weeds very quickly. There's three sources of funding. I'll, I'll let you talk some. What are the three sources of funding for schools in Minnesota? Federal, state, and local with the state aid making up the bulk of education revenue. Perfect. That's a perfect start. So everyone understands that. There's federal money. It's a very small part. State is the big part, and then local is varied across the, uh, the state depending on your, your, um, your local school district. So the second big piece to know is that we fund uh, education um, on a formula based on how many students you have. We don't send money to districts based on land mass or number of schools or, or any kind of other population. of your, of your it's, it's a formula based on how many kids you have. So... That sounds simple, but of course it gets more complicated. It can. So yes. we, we don't count all the kids the same, right, Catherine? Why don't you explain? We, every kid is different in that formula. Right. So you're right where we have this, this basic allowance formula. So school districts receive dollars for the students they are responsible to teach. But within that, it costs different amounts to educate different students in different grades. So we put this pupil weight within the formula on basically each student's head. So if you are in half-day kindergarten, your weight is less than if you are in full-day kindergarten, all the way up to full-day kindergarten through grade six, carry the same weight, and then past that, there's a secondary weight that's a little more. And that means it's more expensive to educate a high school student than it is to educate, educate a kindergartner. So not all kids are equal in the formula um, makes sense. But when you, when you say per kid, it's really not quite per kid because different kids are weighted differently. So there's a lot of acronyms in education. One of my favorites is the weighted average daily member. So average daily member is a kid. Uh, then we check in with school districts a couple times during the year, like in October is the big count. How many kids you got today? And then another look in the, in the spring to figure out what your average daily membership is over the course of a year, because you know, kids come and go during the school year. Mm -hmm. And then as we just explained, they're weighted based on a high school kid, a kindergartner, a second grader. 
So weighted average daily members, they actually say this at the legislature, they're called WADAMs. They actually <laughs> use the acronym as WADAMs. So when you hear WADAMs, they're talking about your kids. I can just imagine, you know, the teacher saying, you know, get all those Wadhams in from recess. We got to get them to Spanish class. You know, all the little Wadhams are running around. I love this imagery. We got to we got to come up with like a little little thing that's a Wadham, you know, a little kid running around. like a. <laughs> oh, Bill, oh, sorry. this has made him laugh more times than we can count in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> Like the Oompa Loompas or, or the, the Minions. They're like Minions. They're Wadhams. They're running around. So weighted average daily members. All right. We're, we're having too much fun. With it. Okay. So you've got your three different kinds of funding, but let's just zero in on the state funding because mm-hmm. that's the biggest and the most most complicated, really. We've got how many kids we got for White Bear Lake School District, let's say. we got our weighted average daily membership figured out. First one is the is the one that we always talk about the the basic education funding formula right the basic yes. allowance or what what's the technical term for it yes basic education revenue or formula allowance and I guess the easiest way to put that is there's a certain dollar amount that is connected to that formula allowance the legislature sets it it typically increases every year and that represents the minimum dollar amount that a school district will receive in education revenue so for example it's around $7100 it'll go up to just over $7200 by 2025 so take a school district say it has 1000 students so that district at minimum will receive you know $7100 per student times 1000 that district's basic starting education budget is $7.1 million. Then it gets more complicated right. because so you have all these other revenue yeah, so we'll streams. Get to that next. But so that's that's it. That's the the basic thing you hear when you hear formula, when you hear the legislature debating the formula mm-hmm. and increasing the formula up, uh, up every year. Um, that's that's what we're talking about. And then one of the things we like to the myth busting or one of the talking points that get thrown around is that education funding is not kept up with inflation. And when folks say that education funding has not kept up with inflation, what they mean is this formula, this piece of the formula, the basic education revenue, the formula allowance has not kept up with inflation. And, you, you know, we use different kinds of inflation. But even if they're being fair, which which a lot of them are in the CPI, uh, the, the right inflation to use, it's technically accurate, right, that the formula has not kept up with inflation since they always go to 2003 because – you know, that's when Governor Tim Pawlenty was elected and they like to villainize him as the guy who cut education, which he didn't. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but but that's where they go back to and it hasn't got inflation. So is that technically accurate to say that? It's technically accurate, but it's not the full picture because we mentioned the basic education revenue, that formula allowance is the minimum dollar amount a district will receive, but it's not the only money that a district receives. So when you have when you look at what a district receives and then you adjust that for inflation, you get a combined general education revenue and that is what we have to look at adjusted for inflation and that actually has kept pace and exceeded when when adjusted. So when you make the argument that, you know, one piece of what districts receive hasn't kept pace, it's not an apples to apples no. comparison. You gotta look at all education revenue. Yes. And that certainly has kept up pace with inflation and, and more than that. Yes. Okay. So every district gets, let's say, $7,100, $7,200 a kid. Uh, but we hear about Minneapolis getting up to, you know, 14000 a year, 19000 a year to educate a kid. Where does the rest of the money come from is the question. And this is where the disparity, you know, around the state looks at if you're a small rural school district, 
um, and then you get you, you're going to get closer to that basic number if you're a, an urban district with high needs. And there are real needs, and that's why we we fund needs. Basically, we try to in the formula. You're going to get way more than seventy two hundred dollars a year. So, kids. So, <clears throat> let's get into some of these. Uh, it's I've got a list in front of me. I mean, a <laughs> list of of things we add on, and we don't have time to go into all of them. But um, maybe do you have the list? I mean, maybe maybe we could just go through some of these. Sure. I mean, um, and these are just these are also formulas. Correct. And there's lots of politics in all these formulas too, like who gets them and how much and how many dollars. There's a dollar per kid attached to all of these formulas. But I mean, I don't know what what order these are in, but you know, extended time revenue. So that's kind of what it sounds like, right? I mean, just money for for kids after school programs or before school programs. Right. Yep. So, and it's important to note that with all these different money pots, not every school district qualifies for every component. So the legislature will put out a finance report and say with, you know, extended time revenue, there are currently 148 out of 329 eligible districts. Mm -hmm. And then you look at how many charter schools are eligible. So that is why, as you mentioned, you see the difference in dollars that districts receive because they receive different dollars depending on their student body, depending on those needs. Extended time revenue is one of them. Gifted and talented, small schools revenue, declining enrollment revenue. So there are different ways that the legislature tries to help schools. That's one of my favorites. Declining Declining enrollment revenue. So this is what we do. We actually compensate school districts for for losing students uh if you're losing students too fast it affects obviously your your funding and you, there's these critical moments where you can't fund a you got to consolidate your third grade into one class because you can't afford to have that second teacher we we fund that which i think is bizarre um and wrong and that we have declining enrollment uh, aid um but so yeah keep going local option revenue sparsity revenue and, spar- and sparsity is a thing you know so transportation sparsity this is this makes sense. If you're in a very rural, sparse district, let's say your district covers hundreds and hundreds of square miles. Well, a, a bus ride to get a kid uh, is way different than a bus ride in Wiper Lake, where it's a very very compact uh, you know neighborhood, and the bus can run around and pick up hundreds of kids. Well, you got to pay more for gas. It takes longer. So we give sparsity transportation revenue. That's a formulary allowance in addition to the base formula. And again, a district in rural Minnesota is going to get that. A district in the suburbs isn't going to get that. So this is where you get your disparities. Correct. Um, equity revenue, transition revenue, pension adjustment revenue, uh, alternative compensation, the whole QCOMP program that was started in the in the, in the 2000s. Um, and then we'll get to that. That's the big ones. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do the little ones first. Oh, sure. Um, um, so the, the last two with big ones, basic skills revenue, which gets to our compensatory revenue and our ELL revenue, English as a second, English language learners or English, English as a second language. So here's where Minneapolis jumps yes. really and, and school. And we always pick on Minneapolis, but here's where urban school districts with high needs jump in the formula. Um, compensatory revenue. Let's start there. So, can you give us a, a brief <laughs> explanation? <laughs> a brief. What what is compensatory revenue? So it's it's site based revenue and it's calculated based on the educational needs of the students in that district. So it, it's essentially meant to target uh, low income students and very low performing students. So it's extra dollars meant to help them 
get up to speed where the the rest of their peers are. And so we have seen, you know, millions of dollars go into that. And that is why Minneapolis gets a lot, St. Paul gets a lot, because they have a lot of students who are eligible and qualify uh, the school district for that revenue. So those dollars are then supposed to go toward, you know, uh, remedial instruction in reading and math and adding teachers and teacher aides for that individualized instruction. So there's all these different things that a district is supposed to use that revenue for to help students catch up. And so it's based on, this is based on the uh, free and reduced price lunch formula. Is that, is that what drives the compensatory revenue formula? I think it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so this has been some discussion here because we just, we say free and reduced price lunch. We don't do that in Minnesota anymore. We now have everybody gets free exactly. free lunch. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is something the legislature is going to have to address and has admitted they need to address. Mm-hmm. We just passed universal school lunches, breakfast and lunch for all students, regardless of income. And the concern is that it's currently pulling from the compensatory revenue fund. So in essence, it's in a way, taking dollars from students, say, in Minneapolis who need it to provide lunches for students in YZ, yeah, that's who maybe don't need, big <laughs> need it based on income. and need to fix, and they just yes. glossed over that. All right, in the interest of time, ELL revenue. So it's, it's what it sounds like, English, English language learners. Um, and obviously, you identify how many you have in your district, and mm-hmm. there's revenue to help catch those kids up on the language side. Correct. Yes. It's English learners, uh, those with limited English skills, the programs can include bilingual programs or English as a second language programs. And so within these programs, students are taught to read, write, listen, and speak in English. So it's a way to, to help bolster students' English skills. And I actually didn't know this, but the state has been providing, uh, provided funding for EL programs since 1980. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we like to say is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about disparities in formula funding. Minneapolis gets too much money. Um, and you can argue they do or not. And there's a lot of politics in these formulas that the legislature fights out. But I, we worked for a commissioner of education at one point in my career who used to say, you know, to, to, the, to the folks complaining about the disparity in, it, in, in funding, it's like, well, you can do you want Minneapolis's problems, basically, you know, you know, in a way, it's like, do you want Minneapolis's funding because their funding becomes because of high poverty in, in a lot of areas and a lot of English language learners end up living there. So the money does follow the challenges in, in, in theory and in, in practice. So uh, there is a reason. Minneapolis gets more money, St. Paul gets more money, some of these urban districts get more money, and the legislature has tried through this complicated formula to address that. Um, I mean, and just a note on the formula, I mean, there's been many revision or attempts to revise the formula over the years. Governors have appointed commissions to look at how do we fund schools. Other states have looked into this. Most states do it very similar to mm-hmm. what we do in terms of a, an education formula with a base rate and then additions for different things we want to fund. No one's come up with a better alternative <laughs> yet. Basically, it's the worst system of all except for all the other systems. And so um, this, that's just kind of a note on that. You, you'll see that another governor will get elected and say we're going to change the way we fund schools and they end up with a base formula with additions for different things so okay a few other things from the state other funding sources and these are again we don't have time to go into the details of these but other things that the state funds per per kid or per participant because some of these adult basic education schools provide food and nutrition gets money uh, integration revenue but we don't have time to do a podcast on integration revenue um, career and technical education, literary literacy incentive aid, and then non-public pupil transportation education aid. So everybody gets money. Um, one of the things we do for non-public uh, students is we give them a ride to school and we help them with textbooks. 
it's very minimal support that the state provides to all kids, uh, no matter where you go to school. And so that that gets funded to the you know your local school district gets some money to help give everybody a ride to school, even kids in the private schools. And so that those are other funding sources. So that's kind of the state revenue picture. Um, it's not equal among states, but it funds the the equal dollar, you know the the formula plus uh, challenges and needs above that. Let's talk about the federal piece a little bit. The feds have two big interests in education, special education, and I would argue the compensatory, or the, they call it Title I. It's the Title I of the Education Act that funds um, schools with high concentrations of poverty, trying to catch kids up. Mm-hmm. So the, let's talk about special education a little bit. This gets a lot of play because of the the unfunded mandate of the federal special the gap. education. The gap, yes. The, yes. The, the, uh, so local school school districts are required by federal and state law to provide special education services to students with disabilities. You have that in IEP plans, 504 plans. And so school in order to provide those services, school districts receive Acronyms, state aid. Acronym alert there. I, I, <laughs> I know. IEP. I, individual education, education plan. plan mm-hmm. Which should be something the parents and the teachers and the kids work out uh, for them individually. Okay, yes, it, it does end up being a lot of paperwork for yeah. the teacher, but yeah. The goal is to help students uh, the keyword succeed. Keyword is individualized. In, yes, you know, we're individualized. Plan for your kid. Absolutely. So, in order to fund these, well, to provide these services, school districts get state aid and then some federal aid. And then, if both that, both those chunks of aid are insufficient to pay for the costs of the special ed programs, districts use general fund revenue, which we just talked about. Um, the different revenue streams that go into that. So the debate has been, okay, we see rising special education costs over the years. I think uh, Minnesota educates or around like eight, I think it's 18.5% uh, in 2022 of students received some special education services. So as those costs go up, the argument is that the state and federal dollars have not accounted for that. And so districts have to dig into um, the other parts of their budget to make up the difference, which then eats away at other things. So, so a whole nother show on special whole education show. funding. I mean, <laughs> just, just, just a couple of things, though, on the on the unfunded mandate of the federal government. I think that's a been a point for school leaders to whine about lack of special education funding on the revenue side. Everyone's always focused on the revenue side. Nobody ever works on the cost. Mm. So on the revenue side, oh, the federal government mandates this, and they don't. it's an unfunded mandate. The federal government funds 22% of the cost of, of, of special ed, and they, they mandate we have to do it. It's like, well, hold on a second. Are you telling me that without the federal government telling you, <laughs> Mr. P- Mr. Superintendent, Mr. Principal, to educate special ed kids, you wouldn't do it? You wouldn't do it. wouldn't be your mandate. It wouldn't be your mandate. It's an unfunded mandate. It's something you wouldn't do but for the federal government to tell you to do that. That's nonsense. We're going to educate all kids in Minnesota and elsewhere. So this idea that it's kind of a point for people to whine about funding. They, they mandated it, but they don't fund it. Well, that's fine when they do some regulation that no one would do otherwise, and then they don't fund it. But this is something that I think we're committed to doing. And so stop whining about the federal government gap and, and stop working on the start working on the cost of special education, the rising cost of special education, the over um, what am I going to what am I trying to say? Way more kids in special ed than there used to be, and we have to look at that. Uh, the lawsuit abuse that goes on, and the fear of lawsuits, and so all the things we do to avoid lawsuits in in, in the schools. There's a lot we can talk about there, but that's a mm-hmm. big piece of the federal money. Federal money, by the way, about five percent of Minnesota's education revenue stream. Right? I think that's right. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not very much when in the grand scheme of things. 
it's mostly state, a little mm-hmm. bit of federal, and then the third piece as we as we well, try and to just something on, on that, the three pieces. So you do see most states have that kind of 50-50 split between state aid and then federal and local, and, and Minnesota is tipped more. We're in the you know high 60% um, percentage. So mm-hmm. most of Minnesota school district money comes from, from the state. So. Yeah, yep. All right, final piece of the revenue picture is is local property tax revenue. Uh, this is what, what, what homeowners are going to be most familiar with. They're going to see it on their property tax bill, money going to the school district. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be very broad. We don't have time to go into all the different – well, we can do a little bit of work here. But basically it's, it's, it's operating revenue and capital revenue. And there's two different, very, very distinct things. But on your property tax bill – and when people, when school districts go out for a levy referendum for a vote, it's either an operating referendum or a capital referendum. <laughs> operating revenue simply means money to fund the operating of the schools. This is going to pay teachers. This is going to, you know, go to things like class size reduction or or a new program, a gifted and talent program, something that 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 is involved in operating schools. Capital revenue is just buildings, your school buildings. So the state doesn't give you any money to build your schools. Um, I shouldn't say any money, some equalization aid. There's all these weird things, but we don't have time. Basically, you're you're in charge of your own facilities. A school district has to build its own buildings, fund uh, the technology in those buildings. So you see referendums, we're going to build a new high school. That's a capital referendum, and, and that's just between the local government and, it, and, its, and its property taxpayers. Operating revenue complements, uh, adds to what they get from the state and a little bit from the federal government. And again, we can have disparities around the state. There are districts that, that, that go out for a lot of operating revenue and, um, and, and get more money from their taxpayers, and there are districts that don't. Now, we have, the state has capped that, though. They put caps on it because we want to try to keep education equal. The Constitution tells us we have to. Um, so we, we don't let uh, – like, like, let's say you had a really uh, property-rich uh, school district with lots of business, lots of high-valued homes. They had the ability to raise millions of dollars hmm. for schools. We don't actually let them do that. We want to keep the education, you know, f- fundamentally equal ac- across the state. And people complain about this, but the state, the formula does it, the best job it can to do that. But essentially, you go out for revenue, you can um, you can get money to supplement what the state's doing. So that's the, the local portion. And that, I don't know the percentage, but again, it's I think our state percentages are around 71% state, that 5% federal, which leaves about 20, 25% local. That's kind of the average uh, uh, of education funding. So, Yeah, I, I, though I think those percentages, I mean, I know for 2020 it was you know, 65, 27, so with about 8% federal. So mm-hmm. yeah, around there. And then it's even you mentioned with the referendum. So there are cap limits on how much a school district can raise through local property taxes with some exceptions. So I think that's important to note too. And and then of course this past legislative session, there was a change to renewing existing operating referendums, which now a district can do once without going to voters. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out in districts as their current uh, operating referendums come up for renewal and the district then doesn't have to launch a renewal campaign and can in, in ju- just instead have the, the school board uh, vote to approve that for uh, another set yeah. period of time. The level of detail that Catherine was going to 
before when I was trying to keep things simple was that <laughs> there are there are different kinds of referendum uh, <laughs> income or revenue, you know, or levy revenue. Some and I again simple mind here. Some require a vote of the taxpayers. Some the board can just do, mm-hmm. but the board has discretion. So the state says, look, we're going to give you this much money for you know pick one of those those formula allowances, you know, safety. Let's say safe and safe schools. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a safe schools levy. Well, you don't have to go out for a vote to 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 increase the safe schools levy. The board can just do that up to a limit. Right. You know, so we're gonna we're gonna levy three dollars a kid. Uh, a Wadham um, for for <laughs> safe schools, you know, and they can just do that. They, this legislature have given them permission to do that, but that's where you get the discrepancies around the state, and it's good. It's local control. What are the priorities at the local district? So, we're out of time because we didn't want to take too much time on this. We could go deep on a lot of these topics, but the bottom line is, basic education revenue formula allowance mm-hmm. about seventy two hundred dollars. Every district gets that per Wadham. Um, and then all these other building blocks on top of it, depending on needs and challenges. Um, federal revenue comes in 8%, 5 to 8%, special ed and, and for poverty and to get kids caught up. And then your local piece is the third piece. Hopefully, people have been enlightened a little bit on how Minnesota funds schools in the state of Minnesota. That's been our podcast for the day. Thanks for listening. We'll, we'll, we'll enjoy episode 17 real soon.